0: This is Trip Stoltz with Columbia Ace Hardware. I love listening to 101.7 WKOM FM, Columbia, Tennessee. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now, here's your host, Estate Plan Stan.
1: Hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this May the 6th, 2023. Hey, it's time again for Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Prochowski and with the Estate Law, Prochowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. Bulletproof Estate Planning. That's the show where we talk about all things estate planning. We talk about last will and testament. We talk about revocable living trust. We talk about special needs trust. We talk about asset protection trust and 10-care planning. The 10-care planning is either pre-planning or crisis planning. It's the kind of planning you need to keep from going broke in the nursing home. As always, I encourage questions. So this show is all about education on what your options are. So if you have a question... You can call me at 931-363-7222, or you can go to my website, estateplanstand.com. There you can find my email, and you can ask a question that way. I always enjoy doing this show here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 in Columbia, Tennessee. And all my episodes are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So, if you ever miss one, want to go back and review a topic, hey, it's all there for you to do so. So, all right, Uh, I want to go over my seminars coming up. The next one coming up is right here in Columbia, May the 24th. Okay, that's a Wednesday. We're going to do that at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, It's at a church meeting house at 405 West 7th Street, Columbia, Tennessee. I I believe that's the West 7th Church of Christ is the name of the church. Uh, If you want to come to that seminar, I think you ought to. Uh, My live seminars get a lot of good reviews. And I think you'll enjoy it. All you need to do is call the office at that 931-363-7222 phone number and get on the RSVP list. And uh, you'll be set. We take walk-ins, too. I mean, that happened at the last couple of seminars. We had quite a few walk-ins. We just like to have a head count. The RSVP is nothing official. But if you do get on the list, you'll get a phone call reminder from probably Miss Courtney just reminding you about it. Uh, that sort of thing. We like to know how many people are going to show up. And if you haven't come to one of my live seminars, you you, ought, you really ought to consider it. Because it's called Wills, Trust, and the Nursing Home. And that's what we talk about. We talk about what a last will and testament is. We talk about what a trust is. We talk about the, um, the only solution, really, to not go broke in the nursing home. There's the pre-planning, and that's what we talk about the Asset Protection Trust. And we touch briefly on the crisis planning tools. So, you know, we, we cover a lot of things. and I want to tell you one thing about my seminars. They are not what you expect. When, we, when you come to my seminar, we're going to start right at 1 o'clock, and it's going to be a whirlwind of information for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, the girls in my office call my seminars a fire hose of information, and it sort of needs to be. So we're not there giving you a free meal, giving you a sales pitch. Uh, there's no obligation. It's all about education. I often say it's a free educational seminar, The emphasis is on the word education. So you've got a lot of questions about this. You're wondering which is best for you, which one does this, which one does that. You may have had some bad experiences or know people that have. You want to keep your heirs from going through any such thing. So uh, that's what we talk about. So I think it's worth it. If you do, you know, we give you a little incentives for spending an hour uh, with us on a Wednesday afternoon. So, again, that's May the 24th which is a Wednesday. We're going to do that at 1 p.m. at uh, uh, West West 7th Church Church of Christ, 405 West 7th Street, Columbia, Tennessee. We've been invited to that venue, and we're looking forward to uh, having a good crowd, answering a lot of questions. And you know, that's my favorite part of the seminar. You know, I give this seminar a lot, and my favorite part is the Q&A at the end. Why? Well, it tells me what you guys are thinking, and when you got a question, and you if you're brave enough to ask it, I know there's half a dozen people in the audience that have the same question, okay? So, uh, bring your questions with you. If you have a question about anything, write it down and bring it. If you develop a question during the seminar, write it down and pitch it at the end of at the Q&A session. I will not leave until all questions have been answered. You know, if you're going to come to this, don't leave with a question unanswered on your brain. Get it taken care of. So... That's what it's all about. You know, it's, there's no pressure. You know, I get people all the time that say, well, are you going to try and talk me into something or are you going to make me sign something? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can, you can come and listen. If you want to get up and walk out in the middle of it, you can do that. Uh, I don't think I've ever had anybody do that, but you certainly can. If you, at the end of the day, you say, you know what, Stan, this was great, but none of this is for me. I don't think any of this is a good fit for my family. That is okay. And here's why it's Okay. It's okay because you have made an informed decision. You know what a will is and what it does and doesn't do. You know what a trust is and what it does and what it cures. And you know what the asset protection trust is all about and what what its purpose is. And if none of those fit your family dynamics and you make the informed decision to not go down that road, that's great. That's what I'm looking for. I want you to be part of this decision-making process. I am not an attorney that says you need a trust don't worry about what it says here. Sign here. Don't do that. Never will. Never have. Never will. So uh, you know you got to do a little legwork. You have to do a little pre-education. You got to understand what these things are and what they do. Most people want to know. Most people are, are leery of the lawyer double talk and just not telling them what they need to know, and or just telling them what they should know. You know, you are integra- integrally involved in this decision-making process. I'm not making the decision for you. I'm advising giving you the options, then you pick. I think that's the best of all worlds because you're happy with the pick, I'm happy with the pick because it's an informed decision. We can that way we get something done and you can protect your family from this probate process we talked about the last couple weeks and you can you can protect the inheritance how it goes to them, if you want to put terms and conditions on it. You are now in the driver's seat to do this and you're part of it and you know how it works. So, no hide the ball, you know, when these seminars come around, Uh, it's full disclosure, we want you to be involved. Okay? All right, so that's the seminar. I'll touch on that again at the very end. But uh, we're going to pick up this concept of the living trust, which is where we were. Before I do that, I want to touch on something that's a little out of order, but I just feel a need to. And that is, uh, you know, as we progress, we will eventually talk about 10-care planning. And we'll talk about pre-planning, which is our asset protection trust, but we will eventually get to crisis planning. Now, what's the difference, difference between pre-planning and crisis planning? The difference is, pre-planning is when you come to me and say, hey, I've been working all my life and I've got a, all my wealth accumulated and I don't want to lose it to the nursing home if either myself or my spouse has to go into long-term care. Hey, I get it. I understand. I don't. I don't either. And so we build this asset protection trust because pre-planning means you or your loved one is not already in care. You're just thinking someday if you are, you want to have yourself positioned so that you mitigate the cost of that. Now, crisis is planning is when you come in my office and say, hey, Stan, my wife got admitted to the nursing home last week and I need to know how to protect everything we own. Okay, crisis is when you're already there. You or a loved one are already in care. That's a whole different Topic There's several different strategies that are used for crisis planning. Now, for those of you who are interested in crisis planning, we will get there. We're working up to that. We will get to that. But what I want to talk to you about is something that came up uh, that I just feel is a need to share, and it has to do with this crisis planning once somebody's actually there. Because, you know, once you're actually in care, what we want to do is file a 10 care application and get these benefits, right? Now, when you fill out this 10 care application, this is sucker's a 16-page application, all right? And it asks a lot of personal questions. Now, here's the kind of stuff that they do to you. They meaning 10 care, okay? When you get the application, you go to page 2 of page 16, and it says, you know, it says, you know, you can have somebody help you fill this out. So, let's say let's say my dad my parents are gone, but let's just say my dad is in the nursing home for argument's sake. He's in the nursing home and I want him to get 10 care. So him and I sit down and I help him fill the application out or I fill it out. You know, it says on the application, you can have somebody help you fill it out. And then later on, later on, they say you can have what is called an assisting person. So my mind says, okay, we've already named, we just named two different people. we named, who's helping you fill it out, and we're naming an assisting person. And later they define that, okay, the helping person can just help you fill out the application. You have to sign it. The assisting person can sign it for you, which sounds dangerously close to power of attorney to me, which we'll talk about in another show, but uh, apparently to the T10 care, it's not exactly that. But then later on on the same page, and just a paragraph later, it talks about illegally legally Assisting person, which they refer to as power of attorney or conservatorship, somebody who has the authority to actually act for you. Now, if that's not confusing enough, and it's got to be designed to be that way because it's you know it makes me stop and think about it. Okay. Now, I had a had a client that did the 10 care application on their own, and they denied them, and they got to a fair hearing. And when When you go to this definition, it says the legally assisted person, not the illegally the assisting person can attend fair hearings with you. Notice the language, attend. The legally assisting person, like a power attorney, can actually speak on your behalf. Now, this gal fills out the application. They look it over. They deny. She wants to have a fair hearing, so she sets it up. So she gets to the fair hearing, which was telephonic. You got the administrative judge, you got the ten care attorney, and the client. And they will not let her speak. And they tell her, You do not have power of attorney for your father. And her response is, But I filled the application out and you accepted that. That's right, we will accept that. But you don't have the authority to speak for him. And so this meeting, this this fair hearing was very, very short. They would not talk about anything substantive because they claimed she did not have authority to speak for the father. Now, you go back and look at page two, and it's like, what do you mean I don't have authority? They said, you have to be this legally assisting person. You have to have the power of attorney, and she did not, okay? So, um, well, for her sake, they, the judge let her have a continuance of about 30 or 60 days to go pursue a, pursue a conservatorship and get authority to speak, but that's the kind of stuff they pull. I mean, you you couldn't have figured that out on your own. I mean, she was completely confused because she was an assisting person. And they said, you can sign the application for your dad. And she did. And they accepted that as a filed application. Now, when you want to talk about the application, okay, you, you hear, you see what I'm saying? You get this. It's okay to sign for your dad for the application. But if you want to talk to us about it, now you have to have to have a different capacity. you got to be a legally assisting person or a power of attorney. And it's like, okay, could we not have led with that? All right. If we'd have known we couldn't have talked at this fair hearing, you know, if they tell you you can help somebody and be an assisting person, they're almost begging you not to get an attorney, right? So anyway, that's kind of, that's kind of nonsense that they can pull and they did, Uh, We got involved and we took over and we cleaned it all up. But I'm just saying, you know, this crisis stuff, you know, you may not need to know how wills work and how trusts work if you have a loved one in crisis. Because, it's you know, the trusts don't help you when you're in crisis. We'll talk about that. But when you get into crisis, there's all other things you need to do. And, you know, this power of attorney um, is very powerful and very important when you get into crisis. Ten care also has people sign forms that are now a 10 care authorized representative. Okay, now didn't I have I not just introduced four people in four separate capacities? We got the helping person, the assisting person, the legally assisting person, and now the 10 care authorized representative. Uh, anybody out there know the difference between the four of them? If you do, I would be impressed. I had to read it several times and actually look at other things that get square in my head what the difference was. And in reality, there's kind of not a difference in some of them, but only in TenCare's mind. So, but they will pull that on you. And now you lose the fair hearing because they won't let you talk. Okay, that's kind of low down in my, my book. So, you know, if you do these do-it-yourself applications, which you can do, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of sleepers out there that are going to come back and get you on that application. You know, I often tell people when you look at this 16-page application, it's a lot of questions for one thing. But when you look at the questions, they're not really they're not really real difficult questions. They're pretty straightforward. What you don't know is what they're going to they do with the answer. The answers are the sleepers, okay? And it's not obvious to you what they're going to do with the answers. That they take your answers and they bounce them off the 10 Care Act rules to see if you're eligible or not. And that's where, you know, we do things different. You know, we we don't put the answers down until they are the right answers. If if they're not the right answers now, we manipulate the assets until we have the right answer. Then we send them the application when we know you're 100% eligible. And so now we know if they ever deny us, it's got to be an inappropriate denial, right? Because we know the rules. Our application satisfies the rules. So if they say denied, then they have done something wrong. It's really a simple process when you set it up that way. And we found it to be uh, very successful. Uh, I, you know, I have been 100% successful at getting eligibility for people. You know, had a couple that was a little more of a dig your heels in, knock down, drag out, but the end result was eligibility. And we have been 100% successful at fair hearings. So, uh, if you set it up this way, that's the way it works out. So, all right. Now I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we had gotten into the revocable living trust. And we kind of went through what it was, how it was an agreement. You're all three parties, right? The uh, You're the um, trustor, the maker of the trust. You're the trustee, the person that controls the property. And you're also the beneficiary, at least during life. And then your children or your heirs are beneficiaries after death. So... You know, we, we we went through all that. So we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. And well, where we left off was, what problems does the trust cure? Well, the week before that, we went over last will and testament. We talked about, if you have a last will and testament, you are going through probate. I mean, it's an absolute assurity that you're headed to probate if you have a will. Um, you know, people come in all the time and say, I want to write a will, but I make, want to make sure my kids do not go through probate. Uh, legally inconsistent, cannot do it. If you have a will, you're going to probate. That's the definition of probate. But we talked about big disadvantages to probate. One of them we said was it takes a long time. Now statistically, it takes uh, 16 to 20 to I mean 16 to um, 20 months. I'm sorry, 12 to 16 months to uh, get through probate, on average, okay? I mean, some of them do take 20 months or over two years. But on average, 12 months to 16 months here in Tennessee. And I also said Tennessee is a probate-friendly state, right, compared to Pennsylvania where my folks had to go through it. So one thing about a trust, though, it solves that problem. When you have a trust, it goes through trust administration, which is private. No court intervention, one hundred percent probate free, which means you can go through the the distribution and the administration of a trust very rapidly, meaning just a week or two. You can distribute everything in that short a time. I mean I think the longest one we ever administered took about two months, maybe two and a half months, but that's because we had some offshore accounts that were in foreign jurisdictions and a couple of hoops to jump through with those assets. but if you got the regular assets like you got a piece of property. Or two, you got money in the bank, you got a 401k, kind of a a, a a tax deferral qualified fund plan, or you got an Edward Jones investment account. You know, if you got all the average stuff, this stuff can be administered very rapidly, just in a couple of weeks after death, not 12 to 16 months. And what problems does that solve? Well, suppose you have minor children when you pass away. Do you do you think they could use your money right away, or a year and a half from now? Well. You know the answer to that. If you have special needs children, same thing. You know, what if you have people that rely on your assets? Do you want to wait a year, a year and a half to get them? I don't think so. So, you know, it solves this problem of time. You know, and it goes really quick. I'm going to give you an example of how quick when we come back from the break. Just to let you know, it works like a well-oiled machine. And that's what we want. Not like the probate thing that takes a little while. So... All right, listen, we are coming up on break number one. So I just want to keep you tuned in. We're going to take a little break. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. And we will get back to this concept of the Revocable Living Trust right after this.
0: Hello, WKOM and WKRM listeners. My name is Michael Parks Lawrence at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC in Columbia, Tennessee. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my grandfather, Robert Parks, and my great-grandfather, Julian Mays, in 1958 over 60 years ago. Being family-owned and operated, we invest in our community. You'll see our support everywhere you go, schools, sports, band, and even charities. We invest in our community because we live here and we love this community. Come see me and my cousin, Robert Rogers, at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC right off Nashville Highway or visit us at parksmotorsales.com. Every morning, I park my car across the street from my business, and I can't wait to get in there. That's pretty common for small business owners. We have the added satisfaction, however, of guiding hundreds of families with their retirement, education, savings, and general investments. We're a locally owned business that tries very hard to simplify a complicated world. This is Monty Sneed from Caledonian Financial in Historic, downtown columbia securities and investment advisory services offered through nbc securities incorporated member finra and sipc do you want to give back to an individual with disabilities and help change a life the guide dog foundation and america's vet dogs are seeking volunteers to help raise future guide or service dogs puppy raisers provide loving homes for puppies until they are old enough to begin formal training help raise an adorable pup into a future guide or service dog for a person who is blind visually impaired, a veteran, or a first responder. Visit puppy.guidedog.org to learn more. That's guideog.org. Sponsored by the Guide Dog Foundation. Hey, this is Brenda Lynn Allen, and you are tuned in to 101.7 FM WKOM Columbia, Tennessee.
1: All right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. And before the break, we were talking about this concept of the revocable living trust and the problems that it fixes or cures with respect to probate. And we were when, during, during the break, uh, we were talking about the fact that probate takes a long time. Probate takes 12 to 16 months. As an average, if there is an average, I mean, they're all over the place. But um, I'm, I said I was going to say an example of why probate takes a long time. Probate takes a long time uh, because you've got to go to the court and open it. You know, then you got to open up uh, the cred- notice to creditors period uh, for a couple of weeks. Then you got to open up a four-month period for creditors to throw in a hat in the ring and file a claim. We talked about all that during the probate session. But the trust avoids all that. Okay, it happens rapidly. And I'm going to give you an example of how rapidly it, it happens. I'm going to give you two examples, one with real property, one with personal property. So let's say I pass away and my son is my successor trustee. That's the person, what we call the after-death trustee. I'm the trustee during life. I have an after-death trustee. Okay, so this, this, this position springs to life at the moment of my death. Okay, and When it does spring to life, the successor trustee is empowered with the full force and authority of our trust code because we had given him all that authority when we drafted the trust from its inception. No going to court, getting sworn in, none of that. He's immediately in that position. So he could go to the bank and say, I want to take control of my dad's bank account. And the bank is going to say something like, Okay, under what authority do you take control of your dad's bank account? And he will hold up the documentation that points him as the successor trustee of my trust. He will show them a death certificate that shows I'm no longer around. And the bank will recognize that immediately. And they'll say, okay, I see you are in a position to take control. What do you want to do with this bank account? And he'll say, okay, how much is in there? They'll say $300,000. He'll say, all right, here's what I want to do. I want to write a check to myself for $100,000. I want to write a check to my brother for $100,000. And I want to write a check to my sister for $100,000. And then I want you, that should exhaust the amount in the account. And then I want you to close and terminate the account. And he does that. The bank closes it. He walks out of the bank. And that asset, that $300,000 bank account, was distributed and administered just like that. Within the hour. Okay. It happens rapidly, and all assets are like that. Now, if you want to talk about real property, which is land, that's just as fast. It might take a day or two because, uh, let's say, he comes to somebody like me or an attorney and says, I want a deed, my dad's farm, to the three kids. Again, he's going to say, well, is that okay with your dad? he well, he's gone, and so I'm the successor trustee. And so the attorney's going to draw up a deed. The new grantor now is going to be my son, successor trustee, of the Stan Prochowski Living Trust. And the new grand tour is going to be him, my son number one. And then, and it's, well, actually the deed's going to be uh, to son number one, son number two, and daughter. And it's going to say, you know, each of the children have a one-third undivided interest in this property. And then he's going to take the deed and sign it, and the land has been distributed just like that. I mean, we do deeds in a day or two. Some maternals will tell you they will take them two or three weeks to do a deed, but either way, the only, the only lull in it, the only uh, drag time, is how long it takes to prepare the deed, and we can do those pretty quickly. So can you see the advantages here, just the one disadvantage of it taking a long time in probate? All this happens you know, outside of court. No court intervention, no adversarial system, no notice to the adversarial parties, and giving everybody 30 days to give it a nod or object and all that stuff. It happens rapidly. So we solve the take-a-long-time problem. The second big disadvantage I talked about in probate in a couple of weeks ago was the fact that it, it costs a lot, or it can cost a lot. Well, whatever it costs, the cost of a trust is much lower. Remember I told you about the cost of probate? I said, that's not a direct cost to you. That's not money out of your pocket because you're gone, right? But I did say that it was money out of your estate that does does not go to your heirs. So it's an indirect cost, right? So it's not a, part, a cost during life, but it is an ind- indirect cost after death. I mean, you know, you know, the the cost of a trust is different. The cost of a trust is a direct cost to you during life because you have to pay someone like me to design and draft this thing, okay? Now, but it's a fraction of the cost of uh, what... Uh, The uh, uh, probate process is going to cost, okay? The other thing it solves is the probate, the trust administration process is 100% public. In other words, no going to court. You can administer a trust. You can come in here to my office and do it around my big uh, uh, conference table, or you can do it around the kitchen table at the house. You do not have to go into court and do anything, Okay? It is 100% private. Nobody has to know. The only people that get any knowledge of what's in the trust are the people named in the trust, the heirs, the beneficiaries, the people who take. They have to be given some notice of what they're going to get. So if the trustee kind of screws them over and doesn't give what he's supposed to, then, you know, they can file an action and get what's coming to them. That's the way it works. So, okay, so it's 100% private. Probate is completely public. Anybody and their brother can come check out the probate file and see what's going on. I think that's a big advantage. And if you remember, I said I think that's a big advantage because I used to practice years and years of criminal defense work. And, you know, those folks are pretty creative. If you don't think there's people out there that keep up with that, boy, they are one creative bunch. And they, they do. hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they do. All right. Now, remember, the, we also talked about the biggest disadvantage of the probate process was that when you finally do get to the point where you distribute the assets and give them out to the heirs, you know, write the checks or distribute the deeds, that that is an outright distribution. What that means is it's outright. You just give it to them. It becomes theirs. So in the example before, we're talking about those, writing those checks, write a $100,000 check, you give it to the heir and whammo, it's his. Ownership is now complete. They can do whatever they want with it. You can't put any terms and conditions on it. You can attach. You cannot attach any strings to it. Ownership is complete. I mean, let's say you have somebody not very financially responsible and you want to make sure they don't blow it all at one time, right? You don't want to control too much from the grave, but you do want to try to help them hang on to it. So you might say, you know what? Here's your inheritance. You get a third of it. At age 20, you get another third at age 25, and you get another urge at age 30. I mean, those are what we call spendthrift provisions that uh, basically you're saying, hey, you're not financially responsible, and I guess if you're not financially responsible by the time you're 30 years old and you get the last of it, uh, you're probably never going to be, okay? That's a pretty simple distribution scheme uh, that we can do, but you can't do that in probate. I mean, if you did that, the probate court would have to be open to the person's thirty years old, you don't want to be in probate where you got to make reporting and inventory every year, at tremendous expense, tremendous expense to the heirs, I might add, because that's where it's coming out of. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's this outright distribution. Well, when you give property in a trust, you can put whatever terms and conditions on it you want to put. Now, people get surprised at that, and they say, you know, and you know, listen to what I'm saying. Absent and illegal purpose, let me throw that out there, <laughs> okay? Absent and illegal purpose, you can put any conditions on there that you want. The only thing that I can think of that the courts might not uphold are anything that offends public policy, okay? Uh, but I can't, you know, stuff like if you say, okay, I'm going to leave you your inheritance, but you can never use any of that to pay your child support. I mean, I, I you know, uh, I think that might raise an eyebrow, but um, nonetheless... Uh, let's not talk about those. If anything you want to do with it, if you want to dictate how they get it, under what circumstances they get it, when they get it, how they get it, who they get it from, or who gets it first, or what what they're supposed to do with it. If you want to do any of those things, you can do so in a trust. And once you do so, it becomes enforceable, meaning the courts will uphold what you want. That's pretty powerful, Okay. That's pretty powerful. You know, here's a good example. Say you want to leave $50,000 to one of your kids, but you say, I want you to put it towards a college education or maybe a little more open and say uh, post-secondary education, right? uh, Continuing education. I want you to put it towards learning a trade or getting a degree or something like that. Now, you can enforce that. So if the person doesn't go to college, then they don't get the money. That might be kind of harsh, but if that's what you want, that's what you can say. You can incentivize the spending, and that's a good way to incentivize it because, you know, a lot of people that don't go to college or second or post-secondary uh, education is because they can't afford it. You know, they're too busy working for a living. They don't have time to go to school, full-time job, and pay to go to school and not have an income of a job. Hey, I get it. I mean, a lot of people in that boat. But you can incentivize that by leaving this money to go to college. Now you take all that I-can't-afford-it part out of the equation. You make it easier for them to do it. Now, if you got one that just doesn't want to do it, well, then they miss out on the inheritance. So, or whatever else you want to say, they can do it. Or you can say, if you don't go to school in 10 years, then you can have the 50000 So that way they don't have to go to school and they'll still get the money. They just, But it might not be very attractive to them to have to wait 10 years to get it. They might just decide to go to school and to get it sooner. Uh, you know, th- th- you can incentivize it. And again, I'm just spitballing. You you know, your family dynamics, you know what they are. You come up with your own terms and conditions, right? You know, what if you have, I brought this up before, what if you got a child with a drug or an alcohol problem, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting to anybody that they do, but you the folks that are listening, some of you have that problem. I bring that up because we hear it a lot, okay? And it's a good example. Suppose you got a, a, an adult child that's got a drug addiction, and you think to yourself, I want to leave my child an inheritance. i got three children. I want to leave them a third. But by golly, if I do that, what if I turn out to be the instrument of his destruction? Because if you leave a child with a drug addiction money, and I'm talking from my years of criminal defense work, if you leave a child with a drug addiction money, it doesn't take a college education or a PhD to know where that money is going to go, right? It's going to go to further that habit. And that is not what you want it. But in probate, you can't put a condition on it. You can't say, you know, court he can have this hundred thousand dollars, but if he's got any drug or alcohol problems, then he can't have it. Somebody else has to control it. The Court's not going to do that. Probate court can't stay open forever; it has to have an a, an ending. Uh, there's a way to do something like that, and I'll talk about it in another session. It's a it's a definitely an exception to the rule. But um, for the most part, the court's going to say, no, we're just going to give it to him. Okay, if you wanted if you wanted to do something with it. Specific, you should have done some other instrument that allows you to do that, vis-a-vis a trust, okay? So let's say we have this child with a drug addiction. We don't want to disinherit him because it's like saying we don't love you, but you don't want to leave him a bunch of money that, so it goes up his nose and kills him. You, that's a dilemma, right? I mean, that's a real problem. Which which of the lesser of these is the two evil uh, that I want to choose? Well, you don't have to choose between those. What you can do... Is you can leave that child his inheritance, kind of in a trust of his own, with somebody else as a trustee over it, or somebody else and the child as co-trustees over it. So it works like this: Let's say, let's say you have a co-trusteeship. That's pretty common. So let's say, I, you know, I leave my, I pick on my youngest son. Say he's got a drug habit, and I make his his brother co-trustee over it, and I make my drug-addicted son the other co-trustee, and I put in the terms and conditions of this trust that it's not to be used for any drug or alcohol addiction problems. If he wants to use it for rehabilitation, hey, great, spend it. If he wants to use it for an education, spend it. But if he wants to use it to get drugs or do anything drug related, uh, I, I specifically deny you the authority to grant funds from the trustee to the beneficiary for those reasons. So it works like this. Now, suppose the youngest son, the one with the drug addiction, comes to the his brother, the co-trustee, and says, give me $5,000 out of my trust. I want to take out $5,000. And the co-trustee says, what for? And the son says, I'm not going to tell you. Well, then the co-trustee says, well, then I'm not going to agree. Because they're co-trustees, it takes both of them to agree. See the check and balance on this? So he may want it for drug reasons, and he probably does, or else he'd tell you what he wanted it for. And so the co-trustee says, nope, not going to agree. And if it, it takes two to agree... They can't get the money out. Now, suppose he says, hey, I I need $5,000 out of my trust. And the co-trustee says, what for? And he says, well, I'm going to Columbia State over here, and I'm I'm taking up there, you know, becoming an MBA. Here's the tuition bill. It's $5,000. The co-trustee can say, you know what? That's not a drug or alcohol problem, and I actually think that's a good idea. That's, you know, that's in furtherance of your life that is not – dependent, uh, or, or substance abuse dependent. And so he could say, okay, I'll agree to that. And what he might even do is it distribute the funds directly to the institution, depending on the level of addiction, right? Um, you know, we, And we usually put in there terms and conditions that if, if the co-trustee determines after a period of three years that there are no drug or alcohol problems, then the, tr- the trust by its own language can go to give the beneficiary the, the sole trusteeship or outright distribution of the property at that time. And why would we do that? Because now the problem we were trying to solve doesn't exist anymore. And an independent person determined that. And so now it's okay to give them the money because we're not worried about him killing himself with it. So those are some of the things we see a lot. I mean, I could talk for hours on some of the conditions we put into trust. But like I say, you know your own family dynamics. Uh, you know the problems you need to solve. If you're one of the ones that comes to me and, hey, i got five kids and they're all lily white, pristine, they can handle money. I don't have a problem in the world leaving a bunch of inheritance to them outright. But if you do, God bless you, you're probably the only one, okay? And you, there's probably somebody out there that exists that way. But most people, you got one child in there that's the problem child, or, or at least one, and you want to control it. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong or bad about about somebody who just can't hang on to money. I mean, you know, squandering money is one thing. Sometimes squandering on certain things can be an indication of a different problem. But just being a spendthrift, you know, I've had people freely admit to me. They say, listen, if if I inherit money, I'm just going to blow it. I'm just not good with it. I just go through money like it's water. Uh, You know, somebody needs to control it for me. They know and understand that. And so uh, there's nothing wrong about that, but it is something you want to protect them against, especially if they can't control it right? So yeah, so uh, this outright distribution is the biggest disadvantage of probate. No terms and conditions, no strings attached in probate. But when you administer a trust, you can put anything you want, any term and condition you want to put on the inheritance and the distribution of money, land, stocks, uh, vacation home, cars, farming equipment, you name it. You can put whatever conditions on it you want to put on it. Now we call that ruling from the grave and I don't know that it's good to try to do a lot of ruling from the grave. You can. The takeaway is you could if you wanted to. But, you know, there's a happy medium somewhere between doing nothing and and helping the kids out. Because think of it. If you do that to a child, if you restrict his access to his inheritance, you are doing him a favor. Now, he might not agree with that. He might be ticked at you for doing it. And you might not be top on his popularity list after death when he finds out that you've done this in the trust. But let's think about it. You are doing this to protect him. And you are protecting him. If he's got a drug or alcohol problem, the last thing you want to do is leave him a $50,000 check. He'll be dead in a week. I've seen it. If he's a spendthrift and you give it to him and he blows it, you know what's going to happen? 20 years later, he's going to eventually become responsible and he's going to just about bring tears to his eyes and say, by golly, I could have been in grand shape. If I'd have just not spent all that money, when I had, if I'd have just saved it, I'd been, I'd been so much better off. So you're doing them a favor doing this, this, you don't, I think I said, when you do trust planning and write a trust, you don't do it for you. I guess you do what you do for you is the satisfaction that you've taken care of business, but you're really doing it for the people you love. You are controlling how they get this stuff to the, for their advantage. So you see the big difference. Okay. All right. So, listen, we are coming up on break number two, so stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. We're going to continue with this concept of the Revocable Living Trust right after the break. See you then. I hear a lot these days, is there a way to protect my home and life savings from the high cost of nursing home care? The answer is yes. You just haven't heard of it. Hi, I'm Estate Plan Stan with Perchowski Estate Law. I'd like to invite you to my upcoming seminar at 405 West 7th Street in Columbia on May the 24th at 1 p.m. called Wills, Trusts in the Nursing Home, where we will answer that question and more. Call 931-363-7222 to RSVP. Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram
0: thanks St. Jude Children's Hospital for their admirable work. We are committing to their cause of providing quality care to families in need at no cost to them by donating $150 for every new vehicle sold. Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is proud to partner with St. Jude for the fourth consecutive year. If you are currently in the market for a new vehicle, visit the team in store or shop online at Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia.net to help families protect what matters
1: most. You can count on us.
0: This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee.
1: Hey, hey! welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And we've been talking about this concept of the revocable living trust. And we were discussing the outright distribution versus the trust administration distribution. And how in a trust, you can put any terms and conditions you want on the descent and distribution of your property. And, you know, I've mentioned a few examples, being a spendthrift, having drug or alcohol problem. You know, I'm just going to mention a few others. We will, we can touch on this at other times as well. But another big example of what people want to guard against when they give property to their heirs is uh, what they say, divorce proofing it. Or what I call divorce proofing. And divorce proof means this. You know, if you get a divorce, people divide their property. And you don't want your inheritance to be split up between your child and their divorcing spouse. And here's the way it works. The moment you get an inheritance, so at the moment of distribution, it is separate property. But anybody that's been through a divorce in Tennessee knows that, well, first of all, we're not a community property state, but the statute says uh, an equitable distribution of marital property. So in divorce court, you got two kinds of property, separate property and marital property. Now, when you get your inheritance, it is, by definition, at the moment you get it, separate property. The problem is, what do you do with it after you get it? You know, I used, I never did much divorce work, but I would do some uncontested work. And, you know, every now and then I'd get somebody that would come in and they'd say, Hey, I want to get a divorce. And Hey, this house we live in, I owned that free and clear before we ever got married. It's deeded just to me. And it's, you know, I own it, and I've owned it ever since. It's still deeded to me. Well, my next question would be, okay, what did you do with the house after you got married? If the answer is, well, we moved in, and I worked, and she was a stay-at-home mom and wife, and she cooked, and I worked and brought home money, and we painted the house and mowed the grass and uh, painted the shutters and cleaned out the gutters. You know, if you've been doing that for about 10 years, or what Tennessee calls a long-term marriage, now that spouse, whose name is not on the deed, has gained an equitable interest in the marital home because of the way it was used. So separate property can be converted to marital property by virtue of how you use it. If you use it for a marital, marital uh, a purpose, it becomes commingled now. You know, so, somebody mentioned to me once, hey, sometimes you get pretty tongue-tied on the radio. <laughs> and I do. So I want to let everybody know, you know I'm not a, I'm not a, radio announcer, okay? I'm just a regular guy. I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm a regular guy. I'm not a trained uh, radio announcer. So I will get tongue-tied. I will stutter every now and then. I will take a second sometimes to to keep my train of thought. Um, the takeaway here is the information, okay? That, I'm here to give this education, this free educational stuff. If you want to hear it, you listen to it. I know that won't bother you a bit, but uh, you, I'm telling you right now, you might as well expect a little bit of that because um, you know, sometimes my brain works faster than my mouth. I've got remember I got that engineering background, and that's sort of the the overthinking disease that we all have uh, as, as engineers. But uh, so what I'm talking about is this marital property. It's it's separate property going into the marriage, but now it's marital by way it was used. It's still deeded to him, but the court's going to divide it. Okay, now if we want a divorce-proof property, we want to leave it to our child. And As separate property, you know, format where it always stays separate property. If it always stays separate property, it's never subject to the jurisdiction of the court who only has jurisdiction to divide marital property, okay? And we do that by leaving it in trust, and uh, uh, that way it's in a trust for that person's benefit, and it's never commingled, all right? You know, another reason you might want to control or put strings on your inheritance, I mentioned special needs children. You know, special needs children have to qualify for benefits, which means they can't own very much. It's kind of like the ten care rules. It's definitely the SSI rules, and they're very similar, and you can't own very much. So what happens when Aunt Gertrude over here writes a will and says, you know, that one child, special needs child, I want to help him out. I'm going to leave him in my will that he gets $10,000. Well, we don't want that to happen because not that we don't want the inheritance. I mean, Aunt Gertrude, bless her heart, she wants to leave money to him. That's great. But if she does, he's going to be over-resourced when he gets that inheritance, and they'll kick him off the um, SSI, the benefits. They'll terminate, all right? And then he has to reapply. So what we want to do is leave it to him in a way that it doesn't do that. You never want to jeopardize those benefits. I mean, they're a pain to get in the first first place, let, let alone get bumped off and have to reapply, okay? Don't want to do that, believe me. So what we do is we create a special needs trust. We tell Aunt Gertrude or anybody else in the family, hey, if you want to leave anything to Joey, this special needs child, hey, have at it. Leave whatever you want, land, property, cars, money. You name it, you leave it. Just don't leave it to Joey, the individual. Leave it to Joey's special needs trust. And that way Joey doesn't own it, and Joey can't be considered having assets available and get over-resourced and get denied his benefits. You know, when you leave property to your kids in trust, you can con- protect it from their lawsuits and their creditors. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, if you got somebody in a high-risk profession and they get sued, you don't want the lawsuit sucking up your kid's inheritance, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, it doesn't make the lawsuit go away or the creditor go away. It just means they can't satisfy the lawsuit or the creditor with the inheritance that you leave them. You know, I can literally accomplish any distribution that you want. Like I said before, as long as it's not some illegal purpose, okay? And some people get over the top, you know. Some people get way over the top. Now, the more terms and conditions you put on it, the more defining we have to do. So it's not sometimes ruined from the grave extensively is, is, is difficult to do. So let's talk about an example of how a trust works during life and a little after death. I think I have time to work this in. We'll call it the Tom and Cindy Living Trust, okay? The trust is funded during their lives you know, of Tom and Cindy, and they they use the trust, and they live off the trust assets during their lives. They put stuff in, they take stuff out, all during their lives. You know, whatever circumstances arise, they just deal with the funds. Now, at the death of the first spouse, the trust changes posture a little bit in that the the assets are provided to make sure that the surviving spouse has the wherewithal to live. So the posture's changed. We no longer have both of you, uh, trustor, trustee, and beneficiary. Now there's just one of you. OK, now, sometimes we'll freeze the assets of the deceased person to make sure they go to that person's heirs if we're dealing with a blended family. But nonetheless, then we have at this. Finally, we get to the second death and at the second death. The trust becomes irrevocable. And now the successor trustee picks up and he does what the, the trust says to how to distribute property. He will distribute it to the heirs in accordance to the terms and conditions of the trust. And it's really kind of that simple. And when it works great and it's drafted properly, it works like a well-owned machine, I'm telling you. So, all right, listen, I'm I'm getting toward the end of the time. I'm about out of time. I don't know where it all goes when we do these shows. But um, listen, if you like what I had to say this week or if it's piqued your interest, I'm glad. That's my mission. My mission is to get this message out. And that message is that when it comes to estate planning, you have options. You have lots of options, all right? Now, If you have any questions about your own family circumstances, I'm always more than happy to answer, okay? Just call me at my office at 931-363-7222. I'm going to say it again because somebody called me and told me I talk too fast and I only say the number once. So here we go, 931-363-7222. Or you can go to my website, it's at stateplanstand.com. The seminar coming up is going to be uh, Wednesday, the 24th at 1 o'clock at uh, 405 West 7th Street in Columbia, Tennessee. Get signed up for the RSVP list on that. Listen, doing nothing has a predictable result. I say that all the time. Doing nothing is a choice, but it's predictable. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll be back on Front front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7, next Saturday night at 7 o'clock p.m. for the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week.
0: Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. I'm your host, Tom Price. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. Saturdays at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Right here on WKOM 101.7 FM Front Porch Radio. Join us for a journey through time. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory more high quality jewelry custom vintage and estate pieces and professional jewelry and watch repairs they also buy gold the jeweler's bench still here still great service 808 trotwood avenue columbia
1: For the love of the climb.
0: For the love of the fall. For the love of knowing your kids' laughter is the sweetest music there is. For the love of Tennessee. Travel safe. Brought to you by the Tennessee Department of Tourist Development, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station.
1: There are a lot of fun days in May. There's Cinco de Mayo. There's May the 4th be with you. There's No Socks Day. What? May all your days be winners this month with the all-new Instant Games. They feature top prizes up to $200,000 and are waiting for you at your nearest Tennessee Lottery retailer. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
0: Hello, class. I'm from the...